Okay, like Jason said, we're in Psalm 2, verses 1 through 12. If you are able, would you go ahead and stand as we read God's Word together this morning? I think personally, sometimes when you read through the Word, it becomes mundane, and I think it's important for us to remember the weight that this is God's Word. We are reading His words to us this morning. So let that sink into your hearts this morning as we read from Scripture. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in his derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. This is the word of the Lord. Well, again, we are glad that you're here, the faithful who are here at church today on July 4th. And so everybody else is where that video was. And so... (laughs) We thought we would bring it just to you today, and so, no. Hey, listen, we're so glad that you're here. We are um, in week two in Summer Through the Psalms, and so what we like to do is sort of just mainly teach through books of the Bible here at Westside, and for the past couple of years in the summer, we sort of just make our way through the book of Psalms, and um, last week we sort of did an introduction and an overview to the book of Psalms. It's a particular book in the Bible. It's um, Israel's hymn book, if you will. But you can catch up on that on our website because we sort of went in depth as to how it's arranged and what all of this means. But one of the things that we looked at in Psalm 1 last week is we said Psalm 1 was sort of like an entry, like a gateway to the book of Psalms. That if you want to understand the book of Psalms, What Psalm chapter 1 is doing is letting you know how to handle the book of Psalms. And the big key theme was this idea of meditation. And we defined meditation this way. Biblical meditation is the slow act of soaking and saturating in the scriptures so that they move from your head to your heart. That's what we said was the key there. That's what Psalm chapter 1 teaches us is, hey, if you want to understand this book, you can't just skim, you can't just scroll. The book of Psalms is literally written for us to meditate and to marinate in, that we would live in these scriptures. And then we even got more practical. We looked at what Martin Luther wrote to his barber who asked him, hey, how do I pray better? And, and, and how do I read the Bible and meditate? And we looked at what he called the tax method, which was the teaching, the adoration, the confession, and the supplication. That it's literally, listen, it's not just reading through the Bible in a year, or it's not just marking off the scriptures to read, but it's letting the scriptures read you. 
And it's asking these questions and really soaking in the scriptures. And today we're in Psalm chapter 2. And a lot of scholars and theologians agree that Psalm chapter 1 and Psalm chapter 2 sort of go together. Um, that, that the ending of Psalm chapter 2 is blessed are all those who take refuge in him. And the beginning of Psalm chapter 1 says, blessed is the man. So it's sort of bracketed with this word blessed. Psalm chapter 1 was about meditating on God's word. And um, maybe as an introduction, this will be helpful for Psalm chapter 2. In 2017, the Huffington Post wrote an article with the headlines, Burger King's Who is the King vote reportedly angers the Belgian royal king. And so Burger King, the fast food chain, was branching out in their franchise and going to another country. And they were going to Belgium, which is still a monarchy. And they still have kings and queens and all of that stuff. And so uh, Burger King sort of did a play on it with them being Burger King. And this is sort of what the ad looked like. It said, who's the king? And then the tagline was, is that there is two kings, one single crown, who will reign? And this is like a caricature of the Belgian guy. And so that's the Burger King king, kind of freaky, right? And then that's the Belgian guy. Well, actually, um, the Belgian king kind of got a little mad like um, about the ad and asked Burger King to take his image and likeness um, down from the ad. And when I remembered that article, I thought, man, that's exactly what Psalm chapter 2 is talking about. The idea of one true king. You see, Psalm chapter 2 is what's known as a royal psalm. And so if we can look at Psalm chapter 2 sort of in its context and what it means in the rest of Scripture, it's pretty profound. Um, Psalm chapter 2 is actually the most quoted or alluded psalm in the rest of the New Testament. So in the New Testament, when they quote the book of Psalms, 18 times they are actually quoting Psalm chapter 2. It's the most out of any other psalm, which is profound. And we're going to learn what the implications of that mean. Um, it's a royal song sung at the coronation of one of Israel's kings. And so whenever they would have a new king, remember King David and the oil, and he was anointed, this would be what the nation sung at the king's coronation. But it's also known as a messianic psalm. And the reason why that's important to know is, is in verse 2 of Psalm 2, it says, against his anointed. Some of you might have a footnote in your Bible. Um, you can underline or circle that word anointed in your neighbor's Bible for them, just to make sure they're sort of in the sermon. That word anointed literally means Messiah. The word Messiah means the anointed one. So Psalm chapter 2 is both about the present king that Israel had, but it was also a foreshadow in pointing to the future king that would rule all the other kings. It's a messianic psalm. It's massively important, but 
It's ultimately about Jesus. Because we'll see in Acts chapter 4, Peter uses Psalm chapter 2 in one of his sermons and says to the people, um, this Jesus that you killed is the king, and then quotes Psalm chapter 2. But the thrust of Psalm chapter 2 is about this idea of a ruling king. And listen, in God's sovereignty, that like, you know, we just sort of plan the books of the Bible out in advance that we're going to preach through and study to. And for us, on this Independence Day and the great heritage that we have as a nation, we're studying Psalm chapter 2. And look at the opening lines. Why do the nations rage? And I believe in God's sovereignty that he has a word for us today and a particular word for us in this season. And so the Psalms arranged really in four simple stanzas. Most people break it up in, in four ways. And we'll see this. Four different people speak in four different lines. So we're going to see what the world says, what God the Father says, what God the Son says, and then what God the Holy Spirit says, okay? So what does the world say? Well, when you look at these opening lines, it says, why do the nations rage and why does everybody plot in vain? That's the first point, what the world says. And when we look at these lyrics, why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? It's interesting, the word rage literally means sort of turmoil, um, it's the same word that's used for like a storm on a sea that's literally writhing, that it's raging. And what I love about this particular line, verse 1, is that this was written thousand plus years ago and the nations were raging. And now in 2021, the nations still rage. What I love about that is, is that the Bible is timeless, that it's always speaking to the human condition. You see, a lot of times we ask the question, what does the Bible have for me or how is it relevant to me in 2021? Well, the reality is, is the Bible is by far the only book that not only speaks to the true human condition, but also offers an answer. And, and, and it continues, it says, why do they plot in vain? The word plot is the same word that's used in Psalm 1 for meditate. Now, think about this. What the psalmist is doing, it's comparing and contrasting. The blessed man is meditating on God's word day and night. He's soaking, he's meditating and marinating in the scriptures. But what the world is doing is that the world is literally meditating and plotting against God. Why do the nations rage? And then verse 2, The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together. And here it is. Why do the nations rage? Because they have set themselves against the Lord and against His anointed. Again, that's the word for the Messiah. So, so listen, now the psalmist is pressing in even more. Why do the nations rage? Well, they answer it. Because the world has literally set itself 
in rebellion against God. That is the scheme of the world. I mean, I mean, just think about this. Think about how Christianity in some ways and forms is attacked in a much different way than any other religions are. Think about it. When somebody stubs their toe or hits their thumb with a hammer, nobody says, oh, Buddha. Oh, Allah, right? It's always Jesus Christ. It's always taking the Lord's name in vain. I mean, I mean, I mean, I could illustrate this a thousand other ways. But what the psalmist is showing us is that the world is plotting, meditating, and marinating, and setting itself against God. Why? Third verse. Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Do you know what it's saying? Why do the nations rage? Because they are in rebellion against God's authority. That's what the psalmist is saying. The psalmist is saying that the world and the system in which it functions hates God's authority. And listen, this is as old as time. Because we see that the original attack was against God's word. Did God really say? It was a question of God's word, which is a question of God's authority. Now, follow me. Listen to how relevant the Bible is. I love this. Everybody's like, oh, the Bible. I mean, it's science now, man. We got like Elon Musk going to Mars and like, how's that cyber truck working out, by the way? Anybody got one of those? Oh, yeah, it's a different sermon. Okay, right? I mean, we're so advanced now. The Bible, listen, here's what the Bible says that the world is saying. This is what the world says. To summarize it, the world says this. The world says true freedom is found in forsaking all authority. That's what the world is saying. And if you don't think this is relevant, then you have not been watching what's been going on in the world for the past year and a half. That literally the past year and a half, we've been seeing this play out on the news daily. That it is a constant forsaking of authority, any type of authority. And I love what the Bible scholar Warren Wearsby says. Freedom without authority is anarchy. Freedom without authority is anarchy. Listen, at the end of the day, you could free a fish from water and take it out of its fishbowl and put it on your kitchen counter. And how's that going to go for you? Well, probably okay for you, but not really good for the fish, right? You could free a tree by uprooting its roots, and then what happens to the tree? Listen, and please, young people, please listen to me as I beg. This is what the world is telling you about the authority of your parents, about the authority of God's word, to cast off and forsake all authority, and that's where true freedom is found. And the reality is freedom without authority is anarchy. It's chaos. And can I just say as a side note, one of the dumbest things I've ever heard in my life is defunding police or doing this, that, and the others. The most ignorant thing I've ever heard in my life. Now, listen to me. What everybody's mad about 
is the authority that's over them. And what everybody's solution is, is everything would be better if I could be an authority. You see, nobody has a problem with authority. Everybody just has a problem with who is in it. And what the world is saying and what the psalmist is telling us is why do the nations rage? Why is there tens of millions of casualties due to war? And we see the war in the Middle East has been going on for thousands of years. Why is our buildings burning? Why is all of this happening? Because there is an all-out onslaught of a rebellion against God's authority. But what doesn't make sense about any of this, and maybe to illustrate this idea, um, you know, today we celebrate our independence. Congress actually made it a holiday in 1870, and there's a little bit of debate about the actual signing of the Declaration of Independence on what particular day it was. But what we do know is this, is that we celebrate today that the original 13 colonies come together and they declared through the American Revolution their independence from tyranny to worship freely, to own land freely, and to be a people to have taxation and representation. See, we're going right back to social studies right now, okay? All of those things. But listen, do you know what happened right after the signing of the Declaration of the Independence? Listen, what's the other document that we have? As a nation, we don't just have the Declaration of Independence. Listen, if all we had was the Declaration of Independence, all we would have is chaos. A few years later, what is drafted and written is the United States Constitution which now sets in place of we the people how we will be governed. Do you see what I'm saying? You, there is no such thing as just freedom without authority. That is chaos. That is rebellion. Listen, true freedom, true freedom what the Bible would speak to, is found in submission to God's will. That's where the freedom's found. And do you know what? Our society believes that these two words can't live together. Freedom and submission. But I would argue this. All of us are serving something. All of us are serving something or someone. And many of us have an idea as to what should be right and get this out of authority and then do this. But at the end of the day... The question is, well, then who is in authority? And what the Bible and what the psalmist is telling us is the world says that you can be in your own authority. And I'm here to tell you that that leads to destruction. That's what that leads to. But that's what the world says. Now, what does God the Father say? What is God's response to this? I love this. Look at this in verse 4. I mean, we just have the world plots. They're, they're in rebellion against God. Verse 4. He who sits in the heavens laughs. Yeah, I love this. This is great. The Bible's using sarcasm. That's what that is. 
What it just showed us is that the great king, I mean, think Napoleon, think, I mean, the greatest rulers of the world come together and conspire, and they're going to rebel against God, and God is in heaven, and he laughs, and the Lord holds them in derision. Verse 5, then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Listen, there's a compare and contrast between the first set of verses and then these verses. The first set of verses, verses 1 through 3, shows total chaos. Verses 4 through 6, total peace, calm, and tranquility. When I read verse 4, he who sits in the heavens laughs, I thought, like, as a dad, like, sometimes when I'm wrestling with the kids... And all three of them are trying to wrestle with daddy, right? And then they do this thing where they're like, and most of the time it's Roman, the leader, right? He's going to get everybody together. And he'll go, guys, 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 come here. Let's come in the other room. Come here. And then they try to like conspire together to get dad, right? And then they all come running out. And I just stone cold stun every one of them, right? Because I love my kids. I love my kids. And dad's undefeated in wrestling, okay? And they will, they will be raised in the way of the Lord, right? Okay? But listen, like, it, it's laughable when they come together and they're like, we're going to get dad, right? What I see in verse 4 is God laughing at all of that chaos. But what I really see, um, what God the Father is saying is this. In response to the world's rebellion, what God the Father is saying is this. I, even in the greatest act of rebellion, my son reigns. Please listen, this is a word for somebody today. This is the word for you. That in your life, why do the nations rage? For some of you today, you could say, why do the relationships rage? Why does the situation rage? Why is there total chaos everywhere that I look? This report from the doctor, this report from this family member, this report from my job, everything is in chaos. But I'm here to tell you that in the midst of that circumstance, and in the midst of all of that going on, God is in heaven on the throne. And he is in control. And he is seated. And just because it's a situation that seems out of control for you, listen, I'm here to tell you upon the authority of God's word that God is in control even of the chaos. So listen, Christians, please listen to me amidst everything on the news and all of the new buzzwords that they throw around all the time, like, oh, like now your critical race theory. Ooh, you got to be scared about this one. Ooh, right? And then it's the Cold War. And then, ooh, you got to be scared. And it's constantly all the time, all of these things to be afraid of. But what we as New Testament Christians say is that the grave is empty and the throne is occupied. And God did not give us a spirit of fear, but God has given us a spirit of power and love and self-control. So we don't respond as Christians as the world does to these things. For we are a people, I love this phrase, we are a people who are a non-anxious presence. That's who Christians are. That's what the church of Jesus Christ is. Why? Because we know that our God reigns. But look, 
Go back to those verses. Look at what it looks like whenever God, the, whole, God, uh, the Father, speaks. It says that I've put my son there. As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. But look at verse 5. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury. Um, just this past week, whenever the storm rolled in, I think it was like maybe Wednesday or Thursday, we kind of had that summer storm roll in. We were outside with the kids watching the lightning in the distance. And I was meditating on these verses. I was thinking about this and thought about those bolts of lightning, that thunder, how powerless we are as human beings. But when it says every time that the Lord speaks, he thunders like that. And he says that I'm in control. I love what one Bible commentator said. Listen to these words. We are not simply expected to understand what this rebuke means. We are meant to feel a sense of visceral terror when we hear it. The God who made the world and in whose hand is our very breath is furiously angry at rebellion. No, he says, I have made a decision. I have installed with no appeal, with no second thoughts, with no votes, I have installed my king, my son, my anointed, and he is on the throne. That is what God says. And you see, people don't like this. Because they're like, well, the New Testament and like grace upon grace upon grace. Do you know that this was quoted in the book of Revelation? That when Jesus comes back, that he rules with a rod of iron. And that all of the injustices and that all of the persecution and that everything that has gone wrong, Jesus will make right. That's what God the Father says. Now, what does this king say? We move to the third point. What does God the Son say? What does the king say? And look at these next verses, verse 7. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in the pieces with a potter's vessel. These verses, verses 7, 8, and 9, are some of the most quoted verses in the New Testament about Jesus. Remember what we said about the book of Psalms, that we have to read it through the lens of the cross. And I know what some of you are saying, well, like, how do we know that that's about Jesus? Do we just trust what some Bible scholar says? No, we let Scripture interpret Scripture. Look at what the writer of Hebrews says about these verses. I believe that it's Hebrews um, chapter 5, verse 5. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. The writer of Hebrews is using Psalm 2 to say, God the Father said to God the Son, You are my son. And today I have begotten you. And then the next verse that we see in Acts chapter 4 says these words. Acts chapter 13. And we bring to you, th this is great. And we bring to you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, 
This he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. And also it is written in the second psalm. Like how clear can we get, right? In the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. What does all of this mean? What do all of these verses, what are are the New Testament writers trying to tell us about Psalm chapter 2? Listen, they're saying this. What the Son says is this. I am the sovereign ruler of the universe. That's what Jesus is saying. As Abraham Kuyper once said, there is not a square inch of the entire cosmos that Jesus Christ cannot declare, that is mine. This is who Jesus is. And we need a right view of this king. Because many of us, many of us have whittled this king down to a consultant. That's how we approach Jesus. You know, Jesus, I've got this situation going on in my life. And what I need, God, is I need this. And God, if you do this for my children, if you do this for my grandchildren, then, God, I'm, I'll give you my whole life. I'm going to do I'm gonna, all the stuff. Or the idea of, like, we love when Jesus is like, um, go and sin, you know, uh, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Grace upon grace. But what about those parts where Jesus is like, hey, anybody who wants to follow me, you need to pick up your execution device, which is a cross, and deny yourself every day and follow me. Um, Anybody who would follow me needs to love me more than mother, brother, sister, father, or any of that. You see, listen, this is actually good news that Jesus says that he's ruler of the universe. You know why? Look up here, don't miss this. Because you make a horrible God. I don't know if you know this or not, but we make, I make a horrible Savior of my own life. I know because for 20 plus years, I tried to listen and obey Frank Sinatra and do it my way. And it was the worst years of my life. But what Jesus is saying is, I am the rightful ruler of the universe. This is a good king. So then what is our application? What are we to do in light of all of this? Well, now, that's the last thing, point number four. What does God the Holy Spirit say to us? The Holy Spirit that inspired the psalmist now in these closing verses give us our application. Look at these closing verses. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, And be warned, O rulers of the earth. You know what I thought this week? That if I was ever asked to speak at at like a presidential inauguration, which I'm probably never going to, but if I did, I would read Psalm chapter 2. I would read these verses. I would say President Biden, presidential. I don't care who the last name is or what it is. O president of the United States, please hear these words. That you have a king and that you have a boss. And that all kings of the earth submit to the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And for us as Christians, we do not find our identity in a donkey or in an elephant or in any of that. We find our identity in the lamb slain. Because therefore, kings, be wise and be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. 
Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. What do these verses mean? What are our applications? Three quick things. Um, These verses can do three quick things for us, which is this. The first one is this. Serve the king. Serve the Lord. That's what it says. Look at who this king is. Look at the credentials of this king. Look at who you're serving. The kingdom of God is alive and well. Babylon, in which this psalm was probably written, ruled the world one day. Rome ruled the world one day. And you know what? For like 20 bucks, you can go tour the ruins. But the kingdom of God is alive and well. Serve this king and then worship the king. My favorite definition of worship is found in in this passage, Psalm chapter 2. It's that verse that says, rejoice with trembling. That's the best definition of worship that I've ever seen. Rejoice, be happy, exalt with joy, but also with trembling. For this is God. And then the last thing is this. Submit to the king while you still can. That is the implication in these verses. That there will be a time when Jesus comes and returns and makes things right. And please listen, by the very grace of God, we beseech you today of what the message of the New Testament is, which is this. Repent, which is change your mind, change your direction, and come to this good king and submit your life. In closing, I thought about this. Do you remember um, the very first Avengers movie? I know that's hard because there's like 39 million of them, okay? But in the very first Avengers, there's this scene with Loki, who is um, Thor's brother, right? And I know the Loki series is kind of popular right now, but there's this scene that what Loki's wanting to do is he's wanting to rule the earth because his brother rules Asgard. And he wants to be king. So he comes down and he terrorizes these people. And in this scene, he makes them bow. He makes them kneel. And then Loki says these words. Kneel before me, I said. Kneel. And then the people kneel. And Loki says this. Is not this simpler? Is this not your natural state as human beings? It's the unspoken truth of humanity that you crave subjugation. The bright lure of freedom diminishes your life's joy in a mad scramble for power and for identity. You were made to be ruled. And in the end, you will always kneel. When Loki said that, I'm in the theater going, this guy's preaching. Because you know why? What he said is true. The question is not if you are bowing. The qu- Listen, here's the big idea. If Psalm chapter 1's question to us was, what road are you taking? Psalm chapter 2's question to us is, who or what are you bowing to? What are you worshiping? What, what do you daydream about? 
in your heart and in your mind when you have free time to think and when you think the if-onlys just like Dorothy and Oz, where does your mind go? Because there is your heart's true love. But what Psalm 2 teaches us is that there is only one king who's good enough, who's worthy enough, and who rules with kindness and gentleness and love and grace. Heavenly Father, God, we come before you today so grateful for Psalm chapter 2. God, as we celebrate on this Independence Day, we understand that that true freedom is not found in forsaking any authority. That's anarchy. We saw that in the founding of this nation. But what our founding fathers and what this nation understood was the Bible speaks about this. And God, for some of us in here today, some of us are struggling, whether it be in our dating life, the way we handle money. We say that we love you, Jesus, but in this area of our life, we are our own kings and just don't have access to this area of my life. I do this my way. But the reality is, Jesus, is that you're the sovereign ruler of the universe, that we submit it all to you. And what I pray for today, God, is I pray that we would see your goodness, your kindness, your mercy, your grace towards us, and that we would gladly surrender these things to you. For we are all worshiping. The question is just, who or what? Because if it's anything else, if it's anything else, our hearts will be broken and we will be so sad and left with guilt and shame. But the true joy, the true peace, it's found in your kingdom, Jesus. Holy Spirit, have your way with us. We pray this all in the holy and in the precious name of Jesus Christ.